Welcome to the Kidney Fighter Show, a podcast that inspires people fighting this disease. These are the voices of people fighting this illness, and on today's episode, we have Scott Hobbs from Sydney, Australia, who was diagnosed with IgA nephropathy since the age of 19 and received a kidney transplant September 27, 2019. Here's his story. Scott, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Mark, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Oh, uh, Honored to be here. Brother. Thank you, thank you, thank you, man. So you were one of the guys that inspired me to say, you know what, go full throttle when it comes to this kidney transplant. I'm doing good now. You got it on September. I got my transplant in December. And I was just calling people on social who had recently been diagnosed. And you gave me that boost. And then I started to see you started to do your runs and jogs. And, and I just want to know your story, man. Like, how did this all start? Thanks, mate. Yeah, happy to share. Um, firstly, congrats to you, mate, on setting all this up. It's it's a great thing to share experiences and stories with other people and uh, certainly inspiring others, mate. So well done. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, bro. Um, Thank you. Yeah, my story, well, it's a, it's a long one. I first, I guess, um, yeah, I was first sick when I was about 12. Um, just got home from school one day, very, very sick. Didn't really know what was happening, but um, passed out in the shower and then went to the toilet my urine was basically black so I was in hospital pretty quickly um, but at that time I, I got well um, pretty quickly after a week or two in hospital so it was kind of just um, not dismissed but assumed that it was just an episode but unfortunately the same thing happened to me when I was 19 um, in that stage I had a, um, a kidney biopsy which confirmed um, a chronic kidney disease called IgA nephropathy um, so at that stage um, was when we took it obviously more seriously um, and then after that again I basically um, got well again and my blood levels and everything returned to normal um, and then I kind of just got lost in follow-up I guess so when I was 30 I had a full physical and um, at that stage it showed my kidney function was about 50% so um, we quickly got me medicated and followed up all the time from that point on and um, over 10 years it just was very slow decline for me going from 50% kidney function down to less than 10% come operation day, which for me was September 27. So a very humbling um, experience and uh, very grateful to receive a transplant. Wow. So how is it like with transplant in Australia? Is there like a waiting list? Uh, how's the care there? Like, what's the difference? Um, so I was very lucky that I had a, a live donor, which was my brother. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, so for me, it was about planning and getting the time right. It's a little bit tricky for me because I live in Japan and I had to come home to Australia for the operation. So um, the planning involved was was pretty intense. And um, I got back um, three weeks before the op, which was I probably wouldn't have wanted to leave it any later because I I went downhill very quickly right towards the end. Um, So I got to avoid dialysis, which I'm very grateful for. Um, And I think I'm one of the lucky ones where I had a suitable match in a sibling. Um, so we could plan, um, you know, from four or five years before the time came. So, right. yeah, very lucky in that regard. How did your brother feel? Was he just ready to go or, or how was that like? Yeah, well, um, my brother's a, a, obviously a really great guy and you can, you can never, you know, thank someone for this. So um, he, he took it in his stride. There was a lot of um, tests to get through, obviously. So um, the big challenge was that um, my match but he um, you know 30, 20, 30 years older so we had to go through a lot of psychological analysis and, and point as well as it's not just physical there is a lot of 
psychological components to it and social aspects which need to be analysed. So, um, but my brother, you know, took it all in his stride, did very well, and yeah, it was a great match for me. So, um, yeah, you can never thank him. You just got to um, do what you can and move forward, right? So, but very, very grateful, obviously. Wow, wow. So, through the whole process, what is one of the wishes you had? Um, hold on, there's something, uh, there's, sorry about that. Um, what are some specific roadblocks that you were watching for leading up to that point? Um, so, we had to get tested. Um, what happened with me was I, I declined um, a fair bit about three years before the actual operation. So, we we hit the panic button and ran out and we're getting cross matches left, right and center with family and um, and then I kind of stabilized. So um, because we jumped the gun a little bit, we then had to retest and retest and that became a bit challenging with logistics and people living in all different locations. Um, it wasn't really a roadblock, but definitely a challenge. Um, but I guess the roadblocks for me were, were limited because we could plan for this and I've had this illness for 20 or 30 years so um, and it was known about and monitored and followed um, closely you know every three months and every one month in the last year so um, road probably no roadblocks but obviously several challenges especially in the last year with health along the way and what were those challenges like what were the main yeah the main the main problem I had was sleep um, I had a very active bladder especially at night time so um, and I've had that for as long as I can remember since university days, 20 years ago, where I'd be up going to the bathroom two times in the middle of the night where all my friends would sleep through. And and then by the end of the last year, I was, um, I call a very poor efficiency sleep. I'd be in bed for 12 hours, but I'd only sleep for five or six because I was up every one hour to every hour and a half going to the bathroom. So um, that's not sustainable and it's definitely not good for your health long term. So that was my main challenge was frequent bathroom visits yeah now were there any myths about kidney disease that you were reading online that you were like oh no that's not that's not what i went through um like because there's not so much information online like is there something that you went through that that you can look at uh, a specific phrase online that you've seen and was like that's not what kidney failure is about um i think everyone's story is unique in itself and has their own challenges so i don't think that you can um take um, word for word what you read online or in certain things you certainly have to go through the experience yourself but you can obviously try to get as much information as you can there probably there wasn't anything that sticks out to me where i disagree with completely but um again like for me i was very lucky where we could plan and i probably didn't hit major symptoms beside the um the sleep issue i didn't hit major symptoms until very end stage so and again, you hear stories all the time about um, people coming into hospital. And for me, I, when I was in hospital for my transplant, a young guy came in in his mid-30s who was um, just feeling tired and awful. And he was in end-stage renal failure and had no idea. So he was... Wow. Um, with that, having no symptoms until the very end stage. Um, for me, I led a pretty normal life all the way up until one to two years before the operation. Wow. So... Like, at that end stage renal failure, what did that feel like for you? Because for me, I slept so much. Um, I was urinating so much. Yeah. Um, 
what else was what else was one of a couple symptoms that I had um when I would sleep at night I would feel like my body was coming out of my I would feel like my soul is coming out of body because it kept building so much toxins and um that's when I knew reading from all the resources online that I have end stage renal disease what was it like for you for me um again besides the sleep where it just progressively got worse from you know 5 years ago getting up three times a night to six months before the op getting up seven and i think my record was eight times in you know 10 hours um wow. besides that main issue um always being um relatively fit and active and running and cycling i really noticed about six months before my op so from about march onwards 2019 um my exercise capacity really um declined so i'd i'd normally go running at you know 5 minutes per kilometer or 8 minutes per mile and i was just struggling at you know 50% slower than that my heart rate was really high and i had fatigue but it wasn't muscular fatigue like my legs felt okay but my body just it wouldn't go um and instead of being able to go for a long run i was just busted after 1 kilometer um oh, so that wow. was a really big challenge for me because exercise and sport is really my life so to have that taken away from me for a good 6 months was a real struggle for me um probably uh, mentally as well yeah so would you say that 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 workout helped but it also declined your i mean cuz i know when you work out cuz i work out a lot as well it really keeps me so focused on my life and it really made me feel very normal that i that i was able to not think about my disease you know what i'm saying um yeah. did it do the same for you Yeah, totally. Working out and being active as I said is my life and um when I work out, when I'm fit and healthy, I'm happy. And right, and I think yeah, that's a huge challenge where all those people in end stage renal failure are going to really folk um will have is trying to be happy through that period um, knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but for many people that light could be a long way away. For me, I was very lucky and that we could plan for it. So my challenges, my significant challenges were limited to a probably a 6 month period so again right. extremely lucky to um have avoided dialysis now i seen i mean you sent me yesterday your your running log cuz i was trying to to imitate what you were doing i mean i just can't i mean i'm doing i'm doing hour miles so i'm like literally just walking at a at a very slow pace and you told me to watch out for my body for people who don't and want to try working out on end stage renal disease like what would you recommend like that who's never done a workout and i see you you're really you're really out there you're you're doing your runs but for people with ESRD who just can't get up like what's a motivational factor that you can give and and where can they start first off really good question for me um because i've always been active and always been healthy and knowing what i've been able to do um it wasn't that difficult for me to try and get back into a regime um physically it was but mentally um it wasn't because i i know what it takes to get back um my tips would be keep a log have a diary um so write down everything you do every day from you know how far you walk or how many steps you're doing a day how much you weigh every day i mean people will keep all that in there in their medical diaries anyway but um um and just once you keep your log you'll be able to monitor your progress and even if it's walking 500 more meters in one week compared to the day before that's progress um the other thing is just listen to your body um and 
you can't compare yourself to other people. So everyone is unique and individual. So listen to your body, walk or run to feel. Um, for me, I started walking in my third week post-transplant and I walked 200 meters. And I was so happy, that, that's a huge win, 200 meters. Um, week four, I had to walk to the hospital, which was one kilometer. And it took me 25, 27 minutes. I stopped five or six times. I was absolutely busted, but I got through it. And then at week, um, so I continued to walk, you know, week four, week five, morning and afternoon. I was, by week six, I'd built up to five kilometer walks, six kilometer walks, and I was running um, 500 meters in week five and week six. So it's just slow progress, listen to your body. And um, I'm big on data, so I like to document everything. So keeping a diary definitely can help you for sure. How's your energy level been since post-transplant? Mate, the last three weeks I've had huge improvements. So I'm uh, three months and 10 days today. Um, I noticed massive improvements around two and a half months. So um, just yesterday I went for a five kilometer run. So really happy with that. Um, and my pace is back to what it was a year before transplant. So wow. um, yeah, it's been great, great progress for me the last two or three weeks. So. Um, and again, I think a lot of that comes from just um, setting yourself mini goals every week, one step at a time, um, and just monitoring your progress, listening to your body, for sure. Wow, wow. So how, how's your water intake? I, I know I know they tell us to drink so much water, but do, do, are, you drinking, are you drinking the three liters or what are you drinking as far as water goes as a runner? You, you timed that perfectly just as I reached for a, a sip of water. Well done. Early on, I was I was really struggling to get the uh, input in with the, the volume of water. If I took in three liters, I would I would pee three and a half. If I took in five, I would pee six. So in the first two weeks post transplant, I lost about six kilos because I just couldn't couldn't keep up the input. Um, right. And once I stabilized, I was drinking around three to four liters a day. Um, it's one thing that uh, I monitored early on as well and made sure that. I was monitoring my output for the first um, six weeks and I made sure that whatever I output, I drank as well. Um, that was once I left the hospital. Um, and now um, I'm not monitor monitoring it, but I'm really monitoring the color of my urine. So I just try to keep that as clear as possible. Um, so what, is, what, what uh, does that look like for, for people who, who don't know what that means? Like what is monitoring, monitoring, monitoring your urine <laughs> looks like? Like well, what, is, what is that? So if it's uh, bright yellow or a dark yellow, it means you're basically dehydrated. So the lighter color it is, even to a clear color, is um, what you're aiming for. Um, I do notice when I get up in the morning, it is a little bit um, yellow. So I, I basically get down 500 ml of water as quick as I can. And, and then, um, yeah, throughout the day. And then throughout the day, you just do that. Now, how is the, uh, do they make you measure that at the hospital? When I was in hospital, yeah, so um, everything was monitored. Obviously, I had a catheter in for five days. Um, all of that was monitored. And then I was instructed to monitor input and output um, for at least four weeks once I got home, which I did as well. Right. Wow. Wow. That's, yeah, that's how I'm doing. And I remember I remember being so scared about the, the catheter and the, and the stent. And then I called you. I was like, stent. hey, bro, what, 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 what do I got to do? Because mine's just coming up. Mine's just on the the 24th of January. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, but oh man, that was tough. How was that for you? Like, where, where did you run Can't the next remember? Well, 
I was very lucky in that um, I kind of knew about this several months before the operation, so I had enough time to try and mentally prepare for it. And I was, because when I heard about the stent, you know, the um, the donor's ureter being um, grafted to my bladder and then stented in place, I thought, okay, that stent's got to come out somehow, and there's only one way that it's going to come out. So I was like, right. okay, let's mentally prepare ourselves for that. So. I was very lucky in that the doctor I had was um, exceptional and um, I got to look at the equipment and got a bit of a shock before the procedure. <laughs> the size of it was impressive. And uh, he, he asked me if I wanted to look at the screen and watch the whole procedure, which I did, but once it started, I had my eyes closed and I was kind of yelping a bit in agony. So, But thankfully he was very skilled and um, he removed it within 10 or 15 seconds. So, um, And I didn't even realize he had it out and I was asking him, is it going to be finished soon? And he said it was already down. So that was a blessing. Is it something that I'm like, oh my God, or, or I mean like, oh man, dude, honestly, this is a tough one. <laughs> oh man, that's tough. So, so it was done in 15 seconds. Yeah, very quick. Okay, see now that's the thing that I've been doing, Googling on the internet. It says it should be done in 15 minutes. Now, is it- Oh, that's probably from the start to the end of the procedure when they prep you, drape you, give you the, um, the local anesthetic solution, but when the, from the time he puts the scope down your urethra to the time he has the stent out is about 15 seconds. Oh my God. And they, they're able to unwind it, pull it out, and it just goes straight out? Or how, were you able to see it or no? Um, yeah, once once he, he pulled it out, I had a look at it. Um, it's probably about five centimeters long with piggy tails at the end of it. So if you were to pull it pull it longer, it's probably closer to 10 centimeters, but it, it shrinks up inside your body so that it can hold in place. Right. So I've been doing my blood work and uh, I had uh, blood. I still have blood while I urinate. Did you have that problem as well or? No, I didn't. Um, again, and also when they removed my catheter, they said that I may have some blood for a while, but um, yeah, I didn't experience any of that. So quite thankful I didn't have of any of that and I didn't have any after the scope either which was great oh wow that, that, that must have been a, he was a pro then huh he was he knew his stuff <laughs> yeah. that's right yeah lucky. Wow, wow. <laughs> so are there any other hurdles that you had to face now post transplant and not like that you're not really like wow this is this is interesting um hurdles uh, will mainly and have mainly been for me the side effects of the medication um, and they're going to be lifelong and, and something that you, you've got to get your head around early and prepare yourself on how to deal with them. So um, for me, I'm on three anti-rejection drugs. So one is prednisone, another one is tacrolimus, um, and the third one is myfortic or microphenolate. So um, the main problems that they cause me, microphenolate, um, so when I run, I often need to um, go to the bathroom um, and that's a side effect of the microphenolate and when I um, I need to get to the bathroom quickly um, so that's one of one of my issues and my bowels open like on clockwork every morning now because of this drug so and I'm going to the bathroom at least three times or around three times by 1 or 2 p.m. Um, and that's a side effect of the microphenolate um, the other from the moment right you on. wake up till 2 p.m. you'll urinate about three times I'll open my bowels three times. Oh, wow. Wow. So, what I'll, so I'll get, as soon as I get up, within five minutes, I'll need to use the bathroom. Um, and then if I have a coffee, I'll need to use the bathroom again. And then um, once I'm active, 
I'll need to use the bathroom again. And that's one thing I noticed early on was um, the regular and frequent bowel movements of a morning. And I was wondering if that was due to the uh, maybe operative trauma around my bowel or I'm a combination of things, but my doctor said that that was very likely a side effect of the microphenolate. Oh, wow, wow. What are they, do they have you any other, other, other medications besides those? Yeah, so the other, the, the side effects I experience are mainly the prednisone, which is the steroid. Um, so I started on 30 milligrams a day and I'm down to seven and a half now. And soon I'll be down to five, which will be my lifelong dose. And early on, the, the big problem I had with that was um, sleep. So I was basically an insomniac for about two weeks. So I'd, wow. if I got two hours um, one night and then four hours the next night, I was doing very well. Um, wow. So I worked out that I monitored my sleep patterns as well, and I, I highly recommend people do that too. Um, I was averaging for the first month around four and a half to five hours sleep. Um, but the good thing, the good thing was I was sleeping in a three to four hour block, and I hadn't slept like that since my twenties. So that was a win. So I guess taking the positives out of that. And now my prednisone is down to seven and a half. I sleep on average per night around six to seven hours and I get one block of about five hours, um, which to someone who sleeps through the night doesn't sound great, but when you're coming from, you know, four lots of one hour blocks to one lot of five hours and, you know, spare change here and there, then it's a massive win for me. So right, very thankful to right. be getting somewhat normal sleep. Um, the other drug, the tacrolimus, which is a very common um, anti-rejection drug, um, oh, sorry, on the prednisone as well. Um, it causes me skin blemishes and pimples and acne on my back and can make my face go red at times. Um, it also makes you very hungry early oh on. Oh my God, dude. I'm yeah. so <laughs> hungry, dude. I, it's insane. I, I mean, I, I eat so much. I'm like, dude, I need to eat again. And it was just like 20 minutes ago that I had a, a large meal. And um, do you also, have you been watching any movies and are, are like get a little, uh, this is very random. This is just for me, but I started watching movies, like movies that are like, not even like emotional. Like I, I would watch like something like Narcos and I'd start crying that they killed Pablo Escobar. Like, did you Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a, it gives you euphoria as well, right? So at yeah. high dose prednisone, the reason I couldn't sleep was as soon as I closed my eyes, my mind would just run with all of these amazing ideas and things. And um, so I started, I, I wrote down a lot of my ideas and looking back on them, a lot of them are a bit airy-fairy and a lot of them are actually quite good. So <laughs> one thing I would, yeah, maybe recommend is to maybe not act on every instinct you have when you're at very high dose prednisone. Uh, maybe just document a few ideas and give it a month and look into, into those because you certainly do go through I wouldn't call it a self-righteous period, but you have a lot of emotion and ideas and um, yeah, and a lot of that can be good as well. And I certainly felt that it has been, um, but just be aware that you, at high doses, you will have this euphoric sensations quite regularly and dreaming and, and things like this. Dreaming, yeah, I, I noticed that. I my, my my dreams are very clear. I'm like, wow, that was a that was an amazing dream I just had. Like, you know, so, some of that stuff. I'm just like, whoa, this is pretty intense. Um, yeah. So, what would be your locker room advice for that 12 round fight for someone who's either about to go into transplant? You've been fighting IGA for some time. Like, what's that locker room advice you would give somebody who's fighting this illness? 
Yeah, I think, um, I guess with not just having a transplant, but any major hurdle in life, I think you've got two options. One, you can get bogged down in the negativity, the stress and the depression of the situation, or you can, the second option, which I firmly believe in, is just do what you need to do, deal with it and move forward. And I've gone down road one before and, and there's absolutely nothing good that comes from that road. But the second road, um, just dealing with it, moving forward, doing what you can, um, it can bring a lot of good to people around you and, and most importantly, it'll do a lot of good to you. So that would be my advice and, and certainly a big thing I've learned going through this. I'd also say that um, I guess uh, a blessing in disguise going through something like this is it, it simplifies things in your life. You know, you could go through all the, the, the cliches of you only live once, you know, you appreciate everything you have, which is all true and I fully support, but it also can simplify your life so that I think I read on your Instagram one of your quotes once was that something like healthy people have a thousand wishes and sick people have just one. And it's very true. And when you simplify your life down like that, it removes a lot of stress and it can bring you much more happiness. And I'm a firm believer in, in that now. And and another thing I've learned is that it's difficult to get other people to understand this because they haven't gone through the trauma that you have. Right. So by realizing that, I try to focus all my learnings on myself to improve my life. And if other people can see that and get something out of that, I think that's great. I think that's really good. But it, it is difficult to get people to understand what you've learned through your experience. So that, that's probably what I would pass on. Amazing, amazing. Again, thank you so much, Scott. You were a true definition of a kidney fighter. Keep fighting and remember, never throw in a towel. Awesome. Thanks, man.